Our next story does deal with witness to disaster, and sensitive listeners should be advised. When I was a kid, I used to sit in this brown armchair in my living room in Southern California, hunched over an oversized Time Life book about history's great disasters. I think the sinking of the Titanic was in there, and there were famous volcanoes. But the one that I remember the best was a tidal wave. And the picture showed people running from this towering, curling maw of a wave. And I really wondered what it was that a wave like that could do. Now, I work for Time Magazine in Asia. In March 2011, we had the unfortunate opportunity to see what a wave like that could do. It was an apocalypse. By the time I got to Japan, there were thousands of people buried in the rubble. It was still winter, and the lights of the emergency vehicles coming and going were flickering over the heaps of cinder blocks and mud. And I was filming Japanese soldiers carrying corpses out of the rubble and then really carefully lining them up along the side of the road. Most of the bodies were naked, and they, they had sort of covered them all in these wet blankets. For a split second, a quilt kind of fell off a woman's nude body and exposed her breast. And this young soldier looked at me really sharply over his shoulder just to be like, don't do it. And I didn't. I lowered my camera to the mud. And later I have this footage of my like muddy shoes. This wasn't my first tsunami. And these were not the first bodies that I'd found. The first time that I went looking for a body was seven years earlier on the east coast of Sri Lanka, about three weeks after the Asian tsunami had hit the day after Christmas. And again, I was there to shoot a video and a couple of people had told me and my friend there was this unidentified body that was still on the beach. So we thought we should get the footage and we went. It's a weird thing to do, looking for a corpse that doesn't really belong to you. I was really dreading seeing this body. Nine months before that, my dad had died pretty suddenly. And so instead of facing my own family, I ended up stalking the remains of somebody else's. I guess this is what journalists do. After my dad died, my mom and my brother and I really had no idea how to handle his remains. The three of us drove to a crematorium and we had to sign these like waivers to watch him be cremated instead of buried. And I asked the woman in the office what this was about. And she really condescendingly explained that people can be traumatized by watching their relatives go into the incinerator and they weren't liable for, you know, any damage we decided to do to ourselves by, like, witnessing this event. The thing is, is nobody in the United States ever wants to see this happen. I really didn't know what to expect, but... um. This was not what I was expecting. It was basically like this sort of cement building and somebody had set out this little thing of astroturf and then put like three metal folding chairs for me and my brother and my mom to sit in and watch. And then my dad was there and he was in a cardboard box and his name was written on it and this like black marker. 
My mom wrapped her arms around both of us and we sort of watched this cardboard box like slide into a hole in the wall and watched my father actually go into the incinerator. So on that beach in Sri Lanka, I eventually got up the courage to poke my head around that thicket to see the corpse. It was kind of a relief. Somebody had cremated the body there on the sand. There was really nothing left but small white skull and some ribs sticking out of the sand. I have no idea if anybody ever claimed them or if the family of the woman underneath that quilt in Japan ever found her. I mean, I really hope they did. I went back to the cemetery in Japan a year after the tsunami, and I met this middle-aged truck driver who was praying at his own parents' graves that were empty. He had actually never found their bodies, even after a whole year of looking. And he said, I know they're dead, I know they're dead. But without seeing their bodies, he really just couldn't accept it. I really don't know how to move on. He said, I don't know how to move on. I know I am lucky to have been able to lay my father to rest, even if it was in a cardboard box on AstroTurf, because, you know, his remains did not sit gathering salt on a beach or at the bottom of the ocean. I got to watch him go. Thank you, Krista Marr, for sharing your story with us. Krista is currently the South Asia Bureau Chief for Time Magazine. We'll have links to her work on snapjudgment.org. That piece was produced by Anna Sussman. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.